8.17, right on time. What do you want? Oh, I guess I'll just grab a small cappuccino, I think. Mm. No, they actually have their own names for drinks here. They're all based on past US presidency. They've got the menu on their Tumblr page. Oh, okay. Um, well, I guess... I guess I'll just have a small Roosevelt. Ooh. No, they don't really do small, medium or large. They're based on ironic beards. There's the Lumberjack, the Bushman and the Wizard. Oh, okay. Uh, can I just have a Bushman Roosevelt then? Yeah, good choice. What's going on? What's Stop it! What the heck is this? You meant to immerse yourself in the aroma, Don. Let it seep into your skin. You get the caffeine through osmosis. Don't like this place at all. I'll have the Lumberjack Carter, thanks. Uh, okay, what are you doing? Oh, this new minimalist blend. See, all I need to do is think about it, and the taste of the coffee permeates onto my tongue. Very subtle, very postmodern. All right, look, how did this place even get its health and safety tick? I mean, it's literally in a bin. It's just a part of the charm, Don. Very difficult to find authentic coffee in this city. Uh, that'll be $14.50, thanks. $14.50 for what? You ordered the Roosevelt. You sprayed me in the face once! How is that worth $14.50? Uh, they use no origin beans, Dom? Don't you know anything about coffee? Welcome to the Boise Coffee Podcast. This is the second podcast, and I'm your host, Colin Mansfield. It is the week of July 12th, and uh, I'm super excited to uh, be bringing this second installment to you. First, I'd like to do a couple housekeeping things. So last week, I made the mistake of uh, (laughs) omitting something out of the podcast that I promised I would include. So about uh, the 14 minute mark, I believe, last week, I, uh, I promised to, at the end of the podcast, to give you a couple drinks that you might find interesting. And uh, so I figured I'd provide those now so that I'm not completely uh, chipping you out of what I think are some awesome drinks to try. So uh, these two drinks are not your typical coffee drinks. We talked about espresso-based beverages and pour-over and uh, drip coffee last episode. These are drinks that you might want to um, that you might want to try if you're feeling a little bit more daring. The first one's called the Cubano shot, and it's basically a shot of espresso pulled through sugar. Uh, in my experience, sugar in the raw or just raw sugar works best. Um, and it's kind of cool because it makes the shot of espresso just as powerful as it normally is, but with sort of this sweet tinge to it. And Um, yeah, so that's a Cubano shot. The other one that I thought you might want to try is a shot in the dark, sometimes called a red eye, which is just your typical cup of drip coffee with a shot or two of espresso thrown in. So it's a little bit of a unique beverage, um, but it's certainly something that's going to wake you up. I know a a lot of coffee shops have a variation of that shot in the dark, but for a Cubano shot, you might actually have to tell a barista uh, what you mean by that. So uh, the other thing I thought would be fun to include in this episode is some coffee news. So periodically on on these podcasts, I'll just throw throw in a couple things that are happening in the world of coffee. Starbucks has been in the news a lot this week, actually. 
And, um, I don't love Starbucks. I don't hate them, but, um, I'll explain why I think they're important to the coffee community and the history of modern coffee later on in this episode. But Starbucks was in the news for a good thing and a bad thing. The bad thing being, uh, they've raised overall, they've raised the prices of their drinks, 10 to 20 cents, um, at least in the U S market. And so people are a little bit ticked off about that, that, uh, Starbucks is, is raising the, the price of their already expensive drinks. Um, but the other thing they're in the news for is for bringing cold brew, um, to the mainstream, you might say. So cold brew coffee is a little bit different than iced coffee because you're brewing the water in actual cold water, uh, or excuse me, you're brewing the coffee in actual cold water rather than a typical, um, a typical coffee, which you use hot water to brew with. So you sacrifice the temperature for the time. So, uh, hot coffee is brewed, um, you know, rather quickly in, in, you know, sometimes three to five minutes, whereas just like a cup of coffee is brewed in three to five minutes, whereas cold brew to brew a batch of cold brew, it takes sometimes like 12 to 24 hours, depending on the recipe you're using. But the cool thing is Starbucks decided to bring cold brew to the mainstream after doing a test and cold brew was remarkably popular in the markets they tested. So um, if you are into Starbucks and that's your thing, you might want to give their cold brew a try. Um, they water down their cold brew, so they probably use a highly concentrated uh, cold brew recipe and then they water it down a little bit. So you're going to get coffee that's about the same concentration as iced coffee, but it should be a little bit smoother than um, iced coffee that, you, that you're used to, um, especially if it's if it's brewed well. So that is the news for coffee for this week. In this episode, I want to talk about um, the waves of coffee. So just to jump into it, um, the, the video or the audio clip from the video that I started off with, that sort of shows, that's sort of used to illustrate what a lot of people perceive the quote unquote coffee community to be like today. A bunch of hipsters sort of um, over complicating something that should be simple. And as we talked about last week, I mean, coffee can be simple, right? Sometimes it just is walking into your local coffee shop and ordering a drip, a drip coffee. That's not too complex, but just like anything else, when you actually stop and look at it, it is naturally more complicated than what might first meet your eye. So this week I I'm not talking about, uh, just, you know, coffee snobbery or being a coffee snob is what a lot of people might say. But what I'm talking about is just taking a, a little bit of a closer look at the history of modern coffee and appreciating where we're at today. Now, I said modern coffee, and the reason why I say that is because coffee has been around for a long time. In one variation or another, the coffee bean has been used for centuries to do a variety of things. But most recently, when I'm saying the local, or excuse me, the modern history of coffee, I'm referring to the beverage that we know and love. Hot water used to brew coffee, you know, from ground coffee beans that have been roasted and, and grown and processed the way that we're used to. Now you might be asking, why do we want to talk about this? Why is it worth discussing the history of coffee? And overall, why is coffee even something that's complicated enough to talk about. So the analogy I always use is with burgers, because I think burgers are kind of easy to talk about who doesn't like a good burger, right? So let's say you have a friend who, 
Um, all he knows is McDonald's. All, all he ever eats is McDonald's. Now this is obviously a little bit not realistic, but go with me on this. So this guy only has ever had a Big Mac, let's say for as far as burgers go. And so consequently he loves the Big Mac. He thinks that the Big Mac is the pinnacle of burger creation. And, um, so you feel sorry for this guy. So you say, Hey man, come over to my house. I'm going to make you an actual burger. And so you take, you know, grass fed beef, you, uh, you mash it into your own patties, use your own seasoning and grill it on a, on a charcoal grill or gas. If that's your thing, I don't want to offend any King of the Hill fans out there, propane. Uh, but you grill the burger up and then you, uh, serve it, you know, on a brioche bun with fresh cut tomatoes and, and crispy lettuce, Dijon mustard, bacon, you know, whatever your, your, your favorite burger insert favorite burger here. And you serve that to him and his mind is blown, right? Because it's an actual burger. It's, it's amazing. So while McDonald's may be a, uh, a good substitution while you're on a road trip or, or, you know, you just need a, a, a quick bite. Of course, McDonald's has its market and has made billions off of that market. But nonetheless, we would all say that a home cooked burger, like I've described is a better burger than McDonald's. So when we're talking about coffee, this is why I think it's worth talking about the history of coffee is because the coffee that we have available to us today is the equivalent of that home cooked, amazing burger. Uh, whereas the coffee of previous decades in, uh, in at least American history is more like that McDonald's burger. And, uh, and so we're going to jump into it. So when we talk about the modern history of coffee, usually we, we do it in waves and, uh, this is divided up into three general segments, uh, the first wave of coffee, second wave and third wave. And you have to understand this isn't something necessarily, necessarily that's, uh, that's cut and dry. It's not something that everybody in specialty coffee necessarily agrees on the, the specific dates of when these waves go. But generally speaking, everybody seems to agree that these waves exist and that, uh, and that today we are living in the third wave, you know, the quote unquote third wave of coffee. The first wave of coffee, generally speaking, and how I like to think of it is the world war one, world war two era of coffee. Now to start off something that's interesting about that, that sort of era, the world war two back in the forties and fifties, people would drink two to three more cups of coffee per day than a typical coffee consumer in the 2000s. So basically, um, they, our grandparents drank more coffee more often than we do. And what's crazy about this is that the coffee they had available to them wasn't good. Like by, t by any standards that we judge coffee by today, that coffee sucked. Uh, it was, it was canned coffee or freeze dried coffee a lot of times. And, uh, and in fact, in the, in the army, a cadence remains from that time period where they say, you know, they say that in the army, the coffee's mighty fine. It looks like muddy water and tastes like turpentine. And that just kind of goes to show like in world war two, the coffee wasn't very good. And yet people still drank a lot of it. And of course, you know, that's where, uh, your grandparents, if you, uh, if you ever saw your grandparents brewing coffee, they may have used like a percolator or something like that. Um, and that was pretty common in those days because everybody drank coffee. So you'd invite somebody over, you'd brew up a big thing of coffee in your percolator and you'd serve it to everybody. That's that sort of era of, uh, of Folgers, you know, and, uh, Maxwell house and those types of coffees when they reign supreme, that's generally what we call the first wave of coffee. 
and uh, and of course those those companies are still around today, and they still they you know still have a quite a big market. But nonetheless, that coffee, you know, when we're talking about different kinds of coffee, we would say that that's that's first wave coffee. When I say the second wave of coffee, what I want you to think of is Starbucks. And it's not necessarily because the second wave of coffee kind of begins and ends with Starbucks, but it's because Starbucks sort of epitomizes the second wave. Now, Starbucks, what Starbucks did really, really well, and what they continue to do well, is defining the modern American coffee shop. So when we think of coffee shops today, we think of, you know, trendy music, um, a clean environment, you know, art on the walls, and sort of everything that, that creates this idea of a modern coffee shop. And that all originated with Starbucks. Before Starbucks, of course, there these sort of coffee shops existed, but by no means were they mainstream. You got your coffee most of the time, either from the supermarket or from the diner down the road. There weren't very many, you know, big coffee shops and Starbucks was really the first one to make it go mainstream in the United States. So what Starbucks did well, like I said, is they, they, uh, they created this sort of coffee shop dynamic, but what they also did is they made coffee better. So the coffee that everybody was used to drinking is this, this Folgers, Maxwell House, that kind of stuff. What Starbucks did is they, uh, essentially took the process of making good coffee and were able to distribute that on a wide scale. So they trained their baristas to pull espresso shots so that these espresso drinks that they were making all tasted the same. Today, for example, this is what I've always said is what Starbucks is great at is today uh, compared to like local coffee or what I'll get into in a second, third wave coffee, um, Starbucks isn't, it, it, it isn't king as far as taste goes. But what Starbucks is and always has been amazing at is consistency. So, you know, I can walk into a, the, the first Starbucks in a Pike Place in Seattle and, uh, and get a latte, or I can walk into a Starbucks, you know, in New York City or in Florida or in my hometown of Boise, Idaho, and, uh, and get a latte, and it's going to taste the same. And uh, today they do that through training, of course, training of their baristas, but also through machines. A lot of the Starbucks machines that they use today are push buttons, so all the baristas have to do really is is push a button and and uh, the espresso comes out, and then they use that espresso, combine it with various syrups, sauces, or or steamed milk to create the espresso-based beverages that we talked about in in the last episode of the podcast. So Starbucks is great at making making their coffee consistent, and they always have been. This is what made them famous. That and plus they sort of created their own language of coffee, uh, you know, grande, venti, or tall grande, venti for their sizes, and words like frappuccino that didn't previously exist, but Starbucks more or less made them mainstream. And so uh, then we had the the era in the, in the 90s, early 2000s of like, oh, there's a Starbucks on every corner, which in places like New York City is literally true. There are Starbucks on every corner. And many people rely on Starbucks to give them their morning cup of joe every day. So that is the second wave of, of coffee. The third wave of specialty, or excuse me, the third wave of coffee, which we call specialty coffee, is what we're living in today. So specialty coffee um, coexisted along with Starbucks. And there are places like uh, like Blue Bottle Coffee and some of the early pioneers of specialty coffee that existed and were even founded around the same time as Starbucks. But it wasn't until really the last decade or so that specialty coffee really took off, and it's never been as popular as it is today. 
um, and it's only it's only gaining in popularity. So specialty coffee, what separates it from from places like Starbucks is generally the coffee is grown just you know Starbucks. All coffee is grown in a, in relatively the same areas, right? Close to the equator, generally in South America or uh, or Africa. Hawaii is another another place that grows coffee, of course. But what's different with specialty coffee is a lot of times roasters will work with small farms. That way, they know the farmers who are who are growing the coffee. So they'll this is called sourcing coffee. They'll source their own beans. And then they'll develop a relationship with the farmers so that the farmers know exactly how they want the coffee to be processed after it's grown and picked, the coffee gets processed. And that can, that has a variety of ways, or there's a variety of ways coffee can be processed. And I won't get super into it now, but uh, it can be dry processing or wet processing or a combination. And then once the coffee is processed and the, uh, the green beans are extracted from the fruit, it's then, you know, brought over to the roasters which roast the coffee and in specialty coffee, generally this is done in small batches. So roasters will, will roast a smaller amount of coffee so that they get the quality perfect. And um, some roasters have worked their entire lives doing this. So they know what great coffee looks like and tastes like. And after the coffee is processed, then it's brewed by uh, small coffee shops, usually by baristas who have been at it again for a number of years and who are really, really good at it. And if the coffee's not brewed to a certain standard, to a high standard, then a lot of times it isn't served to consumers. So what consumers end up getting is, is a really quality product that every step of the way has been closely watched and monitored so that when it gets to the final cup, to that mug of coffee that's in your hand, you can be sure that it's the best coffee, the best beans that, uh, that this coffee shop has. And that it's been every every um, pair of hands that it's touched along the way has been careful and and has really really dedicated themselves to making that cup of coffee perfect and great. So you know I, a lot of times when we talk about specialty coffee, you'll hear people use these almost poetic words to describe what's going on. But part of it is because that process of creating that cup of coffee is very intimate, whereas from a uh, from a large scale you know, like from a Starbucks um, or from a Pete's Coffee or from some of these bigger coffee shops, it's not as intimate of an experience because they have so many farms and, you know, they're, they're of course, I'm sure they, they do go out of their way in a lot of cases to make sure farmers are working in good conditions. That doesn't necessarily mean that they have a great personal relationship. Whereas with a specialty coffee shop, because it's smaller and because they have people that are, that are, their only job is relating and, and buying and selling coffee, um, they know exactly what they're getting. And so, like I said, I mean, it is an intimate experience and it, de- it depends a lot on relationships, the relationship of the farmer with his workers, the relationship of the farmer with the sorcerer, the relationship of the roaster with the owner of the coffee shop, the relationship with the barista with the roaster, and ultimately the relationship of the of the barista with the consumer. So that when a when you walk into a coffee shop and you say, hey, you know, I don't know much about coffee, what would you recommend? Hopefully you're going to get a barista that is excited and, and they say, you know, awesome. I can't wait to share with you what we have because, you know, this coffee is really meaningful. Similar to a lot of things. I mean, today, the reason I, the reason I think that third wave coffee is really catching on today is because we've never had more of an interest in um, 
I guess, in getting back to basics as a culture than we do today, at least as far as food goes. So sometimes this is taken to the extreme, but in a lot of ways, um, we have more choice in the type of food that we can buy than we ever have. You know, you walk into a Whole Foods or into a Trader Joe's or something like that, um, or into Sprouts, these, these, um, you know, nicer kind of upper tier grocery stores, and you can buy, you know, grass fed beef, like I mentioned earlier, make really good, really good, um, burgers or, or, um, you know, any, whatever you're going to make with beef. I'm not, I'm not much of a chef, obviously, you know, you can buy, uh, organic milk, you can buy organic produce. A, a lot of people scoff at this stuff and they say, you know, what's a big deal with organic food? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, what you're getting is, is more variety. And so you can choose, you know, if you just want to go to Walmart and buy produce, you can do that. Or you can buy the organic stuff if that's, if that's meaningful or if that actually tastes different to you. And I think that's important. You know, I think as far as economics goes, competition is always good. And I think in coffee, having this, this next level of competition, specialty coffee shops, uh, you know, a lot of them have gotten pretty big. And so you've got these, these big third wave coffee shops like Intelligentsia and Stumptown, Ritual Coffee, you know, they can't quite go toe to toe with Starbucks, but they certainly are influencing the market. And I think it's great. Like, I think that that level of competition is only going to make these places like Starbucks even better. I mean, a year ago, Starbucks wasn't even talking about cold brew in the press. And now, and now they're releasing cold brew in all of their, whatever, like 2,800 us locations. And that's amazing. Cold brew isn't necessarily specific to, to third wave coffee, but a lot of third wave coffee shops serve cold brew because it kind of goes back to that, you know, you need a lot more time to craft this kind. It's not a quick and easy, you know, boom, boom, boom. Now your drink is made. It takes, you know, like I said, 12 to 24 hours to brew one batch. So the fact that Starbucks is, is, has, is making that move shows that there is a market for a coffee that, in my opinion, and then, and in the opinion of many, is is better. Now I'm going to end with this because uh, that those three things are basically what I wanted to talk about in this podcast: the first, second, and third wave of coffee. But I'm going to end with this: in coffee, and in food, and in music, and in life, a lot of times we talk about and debate about uh, what things are better than what things. And so, you know, we have scales for this. Movies have movie critics. Like it or not, of course, we all have different tastes in movies, but at the end of the day, you're probably going to go to Rotten Tomatoes before you go and rent a movie or, or watch a movie on Netflix or go to the movie theater, whatever. You're probably going to go to Rotten Tomatoes or, or um, you know, any of the movie critic sites. You might even just read the reviews on, on Wall Street Journal or New York Times or whatever. Or The Onion, The Onion film critic... Peter Rosenthal is always a great source. <laughs> You're probably going to go to these places to look and see, hey, is this movie good? And it'll tell you, you know, 70, 70% of people think that this movie's great. And, you know, 50% of critics say that this movie's good. And so you might go, oh, you know, usually I align more with the people or usually I'm aligned more with the critics. And based on that review, you, you might go and see the movie. And then after the movie, you'll make your own judgment, right? And you'll say that movie was good or that movie was bad. But we all have this inherent sense that there are that there are good things, that there are bad things, and that some things are just better than other things. And so within movies, you know, you've got you've got good movies and you've got bad movies, generally speaking. 
And of course, there's variation in there, variation for taste. But I want to be clear that in coffee, I believe that there is good coffee and that there is bad coffee. And of course, you're all, everybody's entitled to their own taste. But there is a line somewhere, right? There is a line. And that line may be more gray than it is solid. It might be a little blurred around the edges. But the extremes are pretty easy to tell. You know, if you you get a, a really good cup of coffee from Intelligentsia, or you go and make instant um, Folgers coffee and you compare the two, you're, you, everyone's going to say that the Intelligentsia is better than the instant Folgers. But there are people who think that Folgers brewed coffee is just as good as Starbucks, or they prefer McDonald's coffee to, you know, Dunkin' Donuts or whatever. And those tastes are fine, right? And they're good. And I tweeted this the other day. I think that tastes are, are natural, but I also think that you should stretch yourself. And so in an effort to kind of push this idea that that good coffee is out there, I sort I changed the, the little byline on, on this podcast to life is too short for bad coffee. And that's what I mean is that whatever your definition of good coffee and bad coffee is, life is too short to just drink that bad coffee because it's got caffeine in it because it's coffee. There is good stuff out there. And so I would challenge you to look for that good stuff. And the first place I would say you should look is your local coffee shop. Go to your local coffee shop and try out one of their signature beverages or ask the barista what's good. And then the next thing I would challenge you to do is to buy a bag of their beans if they sell them and to look into brewing your own coffee. Uh, Because in my experience, there's nothing quite like making your own coffee at home. I don't know if it's the method, if it's the, uh, you know, hands-onness, sort of like making your own meal. Uh, Even if it's a crappy meal, generally it's going to taste better because you made it. And and that may not apply to everyone. There's probably some people out there like me that aren't big chefs, but, but hey, you know, when I make a batch of cookies, there's nothing like eating that first cookie, right? It's the same thing with coffee. I think, um, there's something to be said for making your own coffee at home. And while you may not never get the trained hands of, of a barista, you know, that's, uh, that's been trained and learned their craft. Well, you certainly can make an awesome cup of coffee at home. That's what my next podcast is going to be on home brewing. Um, so you can look forward to that. So for now, that is the Boise Coffee Podcast, episode two. Uh, If you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can find me at Boise Coffee, B-O-I-S-E, coffee. Or you can hit me up on my personal Twitter at Colin Mansfield, C-O-L-I-N, and Mansfield like it sounds. My blog is boisecoffee.org, and right now I'm writing a book. So if you want to get in on that book, if you want to learn, learn more about the updates and get a discount when the book is launched, you can go to my website and you can hit the book tab at the top and then put in your email address into the little email field and you'll get periodic updates. Um, not a lot, but there's going to be a couple of them. And then when the book launches, you'll get a code to, uh, to, to, uh, put in to, you know, get a discount on the book, 20, 25%, something like that. And that'd be greatly appreciated. That's it. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast, Boise Coffee. Hey, if you have comments, leave a comment on uh, wherever you find this podcast. Leave a comment or hit me up on Twitter, and I would love to continue the conversation there. So thank you, and have an awesome week. This week, the clips that you heard were actually taken from YouTube videos. 
That first one was Hipster Cafe by Collective Noun. And the one you're about to hear is Hipsters Love Coffee by Nacho Punch. So if you want to see the full YouTube videos, go to their channels and check it out. Mm, that really is a perfect cup of coffee. They grind the beans between two teenagers at a high school dance. <laughs> 